Hello and welcome to Dynasty as They Want to Be, a podcast where we drill into every episode of the iconic 1980s television series, Dynasty. I'm your host, Derek J. Lang, and with me is my co-host, Kyler K. Jafari. Buonanotte. Buongiorno. Well, it's a really sad time, um, as you probably have heard by the time this podcast has been uploaded, we've... We've lost a member of the Dynasty family, Diane Carroll. Before she was even here. We haven't even gotten to those episodes. I know, I know. So, I mean, I know who, obviously, Diane Carroll is. I know of her impact on popular culture. I know that she played a vital role in this show as a, a, not only an adversary for Alexis, but also a, a person of color, on a show which so far as we've been watching it not very colorful yeah not a lot of diversity so i'm i'm remorse that she's passed and i'm also remiss that um i'm not really super familiar with her her role but i'm very very sad that she's passed now kyler as somebody who has watched the show do you have any any thoughts or any memories of of Miss Diane? Well, I, I think it's actually kind of I don't know remiss of cultural history to think of Diane Carroll as somebody who was on Dynasty because I think she had this really great career in recording in as the a musical artist. Yeah, yeah, like in the late fifties and a little bit after that, uh, and she has a pretty good singing voice. I mean, it's. It's not terribly distinctive, but she's she's a pretty advanced vocalist, and uh, I think that's actually what's funny that they they play on that in her character on Dynasty when she does show up. I believe it's season four or five. I don't remember. Yeah, I remember you once. I think you played like a YouTube clip where she was like singing on the show, right? Does she sing on the show at some point? Yeah, she sings a few times on the show, and then uh, she's also paired with Billy D. Williams. Um, and they both sort of had these like interesting parallel lives in, you know, the, the sort of very white and very, you know, structured world of Hollywood at that time. Uh, it's maybe hasn't changed too much now even, but anyway, so I think that it's, it's good to remember that she was a, a, a classy lady uh, which of course fits in with Dynasty, but she also did this thing that was very Hollywood starlet, and I don't think she was ever really given her due. You know, I think there's like fans today, and I think there were always fans, but I, I think you know it's it's unfortunate that she really never had the bolstering that most people in Hollywood would have had today. And it's it's great that we get to talk about her, even though she's not really in the uh, in the show yet. But. Yeah, no, definitely she was a trailblazer, and and she will be missed. And I'm I'm excited as we move forward in this project that she will be a part of it, and we will get to discuss her and those um, that perspective will be represented. So it's something to look forward to. So. She may not be here anymore, but I think her presence will be felt and will uh, reverberate throughout pop culture for decades and eons to come. Well, I think what we're supposed to remember her for is she was on the Julia Julia, which I have never seen. Like, I'm not that old. So (laughs) uh, unfortunately, I have not really reviewed. And I guess now I have to go sit down and. 
watch some Julia. Yeah. Wherever I mean, that may be available. I, I don't even know if you can just readily stream such a thing, but Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure either. I've only seen clips and, and I've mostly more read about it than anything. But um yeah, maybe, you know, this is the impetus that you need to kind of take a look back and remember your history, darling. Well, she plays a nurse and mm-hmm. then I'm like instantly reminded of Pam Greer and Coffee playing the vindictive nurse who gets back at society for exploiting her young sister for drug deals. And, well, I, I don't you know. think Julia was anything like <laughs> No, coffee. I know it's nothing like that, but but I think we have to remember that there was a time, especially in the late sixties, uh, after, you know, the Martin Luther King and civil rights situations that these weren't just women who were actresses. These were cultural movements. Yeah. Well, and a lot of the times there were only very specific parts that a woman of color could play. So, you know, I don't know exactly the history because I haven't delved into it yet, but the fact that Dominique Devereaux was a character was pretty groundbreaking on this show and that Diane Carroll got to portray her was totally remarkable. And I always wondered, because Dominique Devereaux is the product of a mixed heritage, shall we say, is she related to Blanche Devereaux, perhaps? (laughs) Because in my fantasy world, Golden Girls and Dynasty is like gotta be the kismet of of all of 80s television culture. Well, that's a very titillating thought, but keep in mind Golden Girls was on NBC and Dynasty was on ABC. So I don't think that there's any way that those cinematic universes could have crossed over. But I don't know, stranger things have happened. Quit taking away my dreams. Sorry, doll. Well, speaking of taking away dreams, a lot of people are uh, giving up dreams or taking them away in this episode. Should we take a moment of silence maybe for um, Miss Diane and then get into this week's episode? Normally I'd have something quippy to say, but moment of silence. All right. Well... We jumped to Rome, which I just was gasping. I couldn't believe that we were going to be in Rome. Oh, no. We didn't just go to Rome. We went to Rome in 1982. Yeah. Even more exciting. (laughs) Yeah. I guess before we get into everything, did you kind of notice that obviously there'd been a little break in filming from the first half of the season because everybody had fresh dues. Fallon's bangs were even bangier. Alexis, you know, her hair was a little bit bouncier. John James's hair was longer. Al Corley's hair was shorter. Like, So everybody got a haircut is what you're saying. Yeah. And I don't know. Maybe some people had some work done. There was a, a few faces that looked a little well, tighter. I'm telling you, the prior episode, we really saw this show go through the looking glass. And I think this is what comes out on the other side. And I'm kind of excited about it because I think we don't have to like think about anything that's going on anymore. This is all just pure, sheer 
pandering entertainment at this yeah, point. Yeah, it's definitely feeling much soapier now. Mm-hmm. Where like the first season was drama. This is soapy. So yeah, beginning with Alexis, because that's where it really shines through in these scenes where she welcomes Rashid Ahmed into her palatial suite in Roma. And um AKA white character actor can get a spray tan and a mustache. Instant Arab. Yeah, the actor's name is John Saxton. I'm not sure mm, he's not sure how of Middle Eastern mm. descent. But um yeah, he comes in and looking like Freddie Mercury, Alexis was eating it up. Like he was barely in that hotel room and she was like planning the lips on him. So the whole deal is that this guy has access to these oil barrels. She figured out where he was. He came over to like meet up with her and they talked business a little bit, but then they're going to fuck. Well, they're not really ever talking business. I mean, it's like clear these twos are really just there to fuck. But I like that she turns a Tinder date into a oil tanker business deal. You know, that's it's very Alexis's magical powers. (laughs) This is what she does, you know. My thing about this this little thread about Alexis and and Rashid Ahmed, which is like sort of like the you know red and white checker table cloth of Italian restaurant names, but She's, well, I don't think he's a sp- Italian. He's supposed to be Middle Eastern. No, I'm I'm descent. just saying like it's all just like sort of like predictably ethnic. Well, yeah, and but... the staff at the hotel is predictably ethnic too. We hope the flowers please you. Oh yes, they're absolutely beautiful, as usual. And this one, this one deserves this place of honor. Grazie, Signore Carrington. If there is anything else I can do for you. Oh, yes. Um, please uh, distribute this amongst those lovely boys. And um, tell Carlo. He is still the wine steward here, isn't he? Come on, Senor. Uh, well, tell him that I'm expecting a very important visitor tonight, and I'd like a, a chilled bottle of Dom Perignon 59 ready to be sent up. Si, a servizio. Classic Alexis move. Like, she's... She's ready to bang the hotel staff. And, you know, there's some cute Italian guys, sure. but She's playing to her strengths, you know? She's very flirty with all the men. I do think this thing with Alexis and and Rashida Med is probably the least ridiculous thing of the episode, which is, like, kind (laughs) of a... Like, that's kind of a statement, right? She's, like, basically there under, like, a lot of false pretenses. And she's going to sleep with this guy in exchange for some oil tankers or something. Like, the whole thing is, like, very, like, cosplay oil baron. Like, what what is this? Come on. Well, I'm a little confused by her endgame. So after she fucks um, Ahmed in the presidential suite, she calls Blake and says that he needs to come to Rome to meet Ahmed and that for 10% he'll give up the oils and then she hangs up ha 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 tricked him and Ahmed's like yeah well what's he gonna think when I leave so I'm like wait this was all just a ruse for her to get Blake in a hotel room in Rome alone it seems like a lot of hoops to jump through that might require a little bit too much IQ on the part of the audience at the time I don't know I do feel that you can pretty much take from this already that she's a trap. She's a trap. 
Blake's going to step into her trap and she's like setting this whole thing up where she's going to, you know, be on the better end of that business deal that she's trying to make with Blake here. All right. Well, I guess I just need to see how it plays out, but so far I'm totally into it. Um, but but again, like I I just think this this thread is interesting because you've got okay, so there's like this this Freudian thing going on with like daddies and mommies and psychology and there's a lot of psychiatry yeah there's like well too much psychiatry frankly then you've also got the abortion thing going on it's like, like let's just throw this in we've already had miscarriage let's also have abortion i mean it's like how much more ridiculous soap operatic bullshit could we wad up into one, you know, ball of tin foil here? Well, it's not like we didn't see it coming. This whole baby talk has been going on for a long time with both Fallon and Crystal. Who should we tackle first, Fallon or Crystal? I feel like let's get Crystal out of the way. Uh, she's. But, but I think she's arguably the the most interesting thing going on in this episode because she is here it is it's crystal locked up in the tower again like rapunzel and she's tired and yeah and but no she's psychotic that, no, no, and no, like no. it's like it's just I like take oh, issue God. with that she has locked herself up in the tower there is no wicked witch or mother or no whatever. she's she's her own problem that's that's always the issue with crystal yeah well apparently it's been weeks and weeks since the last episode which tracks because this was the first episode of 82 last week's episode the miscarriage was in december of 81 so that's why there was kind of a little bit of a break but yeah she's she's truly depressed like she's clinically depressed after learning not only that she lost her baby but that she can't have baby she can't be pregnant ever and i'm just thinking lady you're like crowning 45 like did you really think you were gonna have babies at this point i mean that's nice if you can but mm. i mean i can't speak to this because i am not a woman but i do think that she's overreacting and i think blake thinks she's well, overreacting no, I mean, that's see that's the issue with this episode technically she is overreacting but you're being asked to question the reality of what you're like watching here and actually in a way like her character should be flipping out about this like she's lost her baby and of course that's like uh you know she could six months a year who knows how long like queen victoria was in mourning for her whole life after prince albert or whatever so like you know uh maybe she's entitled to that but like on the surface that's one thing but then like to actually just watch it like play out as a story it's like lady get over it and that's what blake's doing uh but of course he's taking the other side of it which is like grab a steak knife and you better listen woman and it's all this like very like patriarchal nonsense that it is is, but i also feel like we're actually seeing him be caring in a way that we haven't before I mean, he's coming at this from a lot of different fronts. Well, we've so seen him be does... a little caring sometimes. Like, 
he thought yeah, out no, a little of course, bit of Claudia, but I think I know. think with this he is coming at it from multiple fronts. So he's giving her a gift, which we've seen him do a gazillion times. So he presents her with some Cartier pearls, which actually that necklace looked fucking gorgeous. And then he realizes that her depression is something that he can't do just by cheering her up. So he recommends that she seek professional help. Unfortunately, that's from Dr. Nicholas Toscani. Like, aren't there any other psychiatrists in Denver? I'm going to have Nick Toscani stop by to see you. Dr. Toscani? Why? Because I think you need some help. Blake, you won't help me. Just like these pearls won't help me. But what will help you? I don't know. Well, that's just the point, isn't it? You don't know what's best for you. But I do know. Blake, don't make me talk to him, please. Whether you want to or not, you will. Yeah, She should never have gotten involved with this guy. And this is like Blake... Okay, so like you know, Blake did this like this sadistic thing in the prior season with the the necklace, and now here he is like he, unbeknownst to him, forcing her into this like situation with Doctor Nick, and it's like again, it's like forcing her to confront the lie. Every time Crystal lies, she does not get away with it. Mm-mm, no, she's gonna get dragged. Which is the mud. what I love about like what's going on in the writing because Alexis like all of Alexis's best moves are based on lies. So it's uh, how these two women are like very different mirror images of each other. Well, yeah. And then the last front kind of Blake works is, is nostalgia and trying to appeal to his romantic side. And he recalls when they first met that. Oh, so romantic moment where he was interviewing her for a job. Yeah, it's, Come it's, a, on. it's a it's an odd way to recall prenuptial mm, Bliss. agreements. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Which we already know they have that too. But but how? First of all, how weird that like the CEO, president, owner of this company is interviewing secretaries, refinery secretaries. And then that's what we call micromanagement. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, so I don't know. I, I, on one hand, I, I kind of like that Blake is being a bit more caring. And throughout the episode, we see, you know, he tries to host a little cocktail mingling with Jeff and Fallon, and that doesn't go well. And not his fault or Crystal's fault. It's Fallon's fault running her fucking mouth again. When I walked in, I heard you were talking about roller skates. Is Sammy Joe here? No. I bumped into her earlier in the garage. She was caressing my clinet. Your niece, Crystal, is very impressed with how, in her words, how it pays to be a girl in this family. <laughs> well, who can blame her? She sees you get a rolls for expecting a baby, pearls for losing it. Knock it off. Oh, I... Excuse me, I left something upstairs. And then you've got the thing with like Fallon, who's like clearly pregnant, as we discovered earlier in the in the episode, and she's like drinking a martini. Like Blake's pouring her a martini. Yeah, I thought it was water at first. But it then looked I, like water because it's in a scotch glass, yeah, right? But then, but like then there a was couple an of olive takes later, you floating around. Yeah, there's like a a little olive green turd in that glass, and it's like, oh, she's having a martini. Okay. Uh, she clearly is trying to have an abortion, even if she's not having an abortion. 
Which well, is, uh, I think you can drink a little bit depending on what trimaster it's in, right? <laughs> Thymaster? Trimaster. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, I think at this time, maybe. I think now, of course, we would just be totally paranoid. Like, you just, like, you wouldn't touch the stuff at all, ever. Well, thankfully, Jeff has grown a big backbone this episode. He actually has a lot to do after being an annoying prick most of the time. He tells her to cool it, to uh, quit talking to Crystal like that. And he is determined to find out who she has been boinging on the side. And he's not such a great detective. I feel like he could just follow her if she sort of suggests and figure out that she's going to uh, the guy that has a DeLorean parked out front of his Frank Lloyd Wright condo. But he's pissed. Well, I think there's a lot made out of uh, overheard phone conversations, and this is certainly part of that. Like, yeah, but he doesn't even really hear anything. Fallon, well, no, but that's that's what I mean. That's that's about overhearing things. Like, you literally overhear. Like, you hear things that aren't really being said, and you come to these like ridiculous conclusions. In Jeff's case, it's probably actually more accurate than reality because she's like on the phone with the uh the the pregnancy doctor i don't know what do you call those OBGYN. he's basically already assuming she's getting an abortion or something like he's already like gone that that two steps forward which actually in this case turns out to be correct because yes indeed oh i think he just thought she was talking to. to some guys that she was fucking that's what i thought he thought but well yes you're right um i mean that's like on the surface like clearly he's like chasing down whoever her secret lover is but well in addition, it turns out to be a lot more than all that in addition to standing up to fallon i like that we see him for the first time i think ever stand up to his uncle cecil colby so he's working at denver carrington now and jeff has got himself a window in his office and some really really great lucite bookends i didn't notice the lucite i just i just noticed the italian desk lamp that's Almost cut out of the frame on the left, but that thing goes for about seven hundred to about a thousand dollars, depending on condition these days on the vintage market. So. Yeah, no, it was a sexy upgrade for show. And as you sort of pointed out as we were watching it, Cecil was acting kind of out of character because he was basically like begging Jeff to come back, and it's like, well, why? What did Jeff offer? Well, it's 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 even more out of character because Cecil is very. Uh, perspicuous and he wouldn't just like go in with Jeff like oh give me the goods on on you know Blake now that you're working for him like Cecil would go about this all through the back door Cecil and Alexis to me are the perfectly paired villains and this is why Alexis got rid of Blake because Cecil is so much more her style and here Cecil is just like talking to Jeff and like oh now that you're working for Blake like oh give me the deal on the shale oil file or something like no and that's this is kind of annoying writing but here's the thing this goes along with the, the same problem I have with Claudia now in this episode because Claudia again we've gone through the the looking glass I think a lot of these characters have changed in ways that mm, could be interesting but maybe I don't I don't love so much and Claudia has gotten a full Brazilian blowout and she's got a new look as even, well, and a new job. Even she's Jeff says working like, in the f- the filing room at Denver Carrington. She's gone through the 
training program, according to Blake. I didn't even know Denver Carrington had a training program. What are the requirements for being? They don't. Oh, he just made that Claudia's up. Claudia's been, yeah, she's been <laughs> hornswoggled. Well, does the training program mean that you have to live in the Carrington Mansion and talk to Dictor? <laughs> Dictor. <laughs> That's he is an dick. interesting name. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Nicholas Tortellini, because that's kind of a lot to get a job there but yeah it's definitely jarring to see these sort of shifts in these characters but i don't know i kind of like that claudia is in the mix now in, in denver carrington and i'm just Cecil glad she- waste no time trying to get between her pantyhose no he's trying to get b- between her file folders he just wants that inside I think both scoop. both well i mean you know he'll take it if he can get it but it's just more about the you know the shale oil file well he's so lecherous like he tells her don't believe i know his reputation i wish it were true he's lecherous and like in a fun exciting like enjoyable way oh yeah i would i'd hit that he'd be well i don't know about i don't don't go that far but you know like yeah sometimes you see lecherous characters and you're like oh yeah this guy's like super written well because i do not like him for some reason cecil colby's like i just i just like what's going on here and I like that he's just like taking advantage of Claudia and she's just totally going to be like, oh, you like my new look? Yeah, here's the shale oil file. Oh, yeah. No, Claudia is just like desperate for some some attention. Like she's been cooped up on the third floor of the Carrington mansion. And here's like a gazillionaire coming along wanting to take her to, you know, get some French cuisine at a fancy restaurant in downtown Denver. And she's like, yeah, sure. And... He, I love I love that fancy restaurant by the way. It's it's got xylophone dinner music. It's it's got red banquettes. Yeah, tuxedoed uh, waiters. There's like, you know, shrimp cocktail and oysters a la king. Uh, it's just it's, yeah. and it's an everything out, that I and want. And an outdoor planter indoors. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, right behind choice. them. Yeah. It's, well, at least they weren't at the damn St. Dennis Club, which makes a reappearance. God Steven. damn that place. It's just like it turns up like a bad penny like every episode. And I don't think the characters actually want to go there either. Like Steven is on this like forced date with a woman. And then like Blake just ends up there because Crystal runs off. Well, I likened this to like how Rashid even makes fun of Denver to Alexis in Rome, like in the hotel room and... It's it's like yeah, Denver's a ridiculous place, and there's nothing glamorous about it at all. Like, and the St. Dennis Club. Do is, Middle Eastern guys in Italy even know like what Denver is? Like, no, their idea of Denver is like our idea of like Cape Horn. Like, it, it, it's it can only be plucked from the pages of a comic book. Yeah, so Stevens at the St. Dennis Club on a date with this blonde named Dottie, who's like totally giving me. Audrey from Little Shop of Horror vibes. Didn't you think she looked like uh, Ellen Green with her short blonde hair and her? I think she looked like a cheap two dollar piece of candy on a Saturday night. But that's basically what she was, I guess. Because I think the thing with her is this is again uh, Stephen playing out his his hooker fantasy uh where where he was originally this is again is this like this weird freudian thing like where walter lankersham took him to the whorehouse and now his sexual psychosis is like so like up in a in a in a twist that he's got to 
see a lady of the evening to understand what it is to be. Well, but yeah, but women. now he's hiring the lady of the evening, apparently. Like, I don't know right. how he got no, mixed that, up with her. That's but. what I, exactly. Walter Lancashire set that fatherly example that Blake never could. And so now it's like, oh, yes, if I want to be a real hot-blooded American, no, I'm going to go get me, a, you know, a, a, a hooker because that's, that's well, what Well, it didn't work then and days. it didn't work now because he apparently got so smashed he doesn't even really remember hanging out with her. And then he has what um, Joseph, the bitchy butler, calls a brandy hangover, which I didn't even know people would drink brandy that much where they would get hungover. I, well, that's an interesting sidebar. I mean, I think we've complained a lot about how much freaking brandy they drink on this show. <laughs> and like <laughs> they're drinking so much that they are throwing up the next morning. Well, what's so interesting is that nobody would drink brandy now in the context of fanciness, which is what this show was, I think, going for. Now it would be cognac, uh, which well, is... Well, same thing, you know, basically. Uh, all cognac is brandy, but not all brandy is cognac, right? I don't know. There's, there's a thing there, and for whatever reason, nobody drinks cognac or brandy anymore. So this, this show does kind of like show its slip a little bit. Uh, in that way but like did, i think people really drink think it but i just don't think they're drinking it so much that they're having like well vomit you, inducing hangover. you can drink too much morning. of anything but i, I yeah of course. I, I just, i'm just like like yeah are steven and dolly dotty whoever the hell she is are they like going out and like having like a case of brandy and then like the next morning here he is like what is that well he was blitzed at the saint dennis club and then I assume they went and drank that, some look, more. That's the only way to be at the St. Dennis Club because the drinks are bad. The food is worse. The decor is nightmarish. Yeah. So, yes, like you, you must drink more than, than you are willing in that case. Well, I love that Blake calls him out and says, look, she's a hooker, son. Don't go around fucking hookers. And Stephen's like, well, you wanted me to be with a woman. Now I'm with a woman. You said to me that it made you sick me putting my hands on another man. Okay, I'm putting them on women. I mean, aren't you satisfied? Stephen, don't you see what you're doing? No, you tell me. All right, I will. Now, you're trying to live down what you once were. And in doing that, you're going overboard. Now, wait a minute. You told me to, to get out and sow some wild oats. Well, I'm doing it, and I'm having a hell of a lot of fun. I'm having a hell of a lot of fun doing it. Live your truth, bro. Live your truth. Like, this is not going to bring you happiness, continuing to try to put your wiener inside well, of a vagina. This is, again, we've, we've gone through the looking glass, the prior episode, and I think that Steven is going to places that this character doesn't really belong and even Al Corley's like acting ability is kind of being pushed and like, you know, the range is not well, there. He's not a very good drunk. We've established right, that. In but I think episodes. just to be sympathetic, like this character was never meant to go this place. And so I, I think it's also a stretch for even the actor here. One thing I will say though, Blake Harrington, and I always mean to call this out. He never like complains about, you know, Stephen's faggotry in the context of religion. It's always about carrying on the family line 
It's about capitalist ideals. Well, are the Carringtons religious? We never no, see them not. go to church. They're not. And that's what's so interesting. Uh, is and they're all sinners and this, heathens. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, they're drinking, you know, they're, they're, they're like tooting scotch at two in the afternoon in the library. I mean, you know, these, these people don't think like that. And that's, again, part of the... The idea here of like, well, I mean, what commandment have they not broken? I mean, rape, alcoholism, gluttony, abortion. <laughs> well, that was the 11th commandment, right? Or was that the first I one? I think that's the I first don't know. One. It's, it's all tied up together. And like, frankly, but that, that's kind of what's interesting is like, this isn't really rooted in religious, you know, ideology. This is, this is all about like Blake's sort of, uh, egomania yeah it's 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 greed and and it's very amoral and it's very much defines that whole idea of like you know 80s wealth and and capitalism so i don't know so i I think that's that's one thing that that seriously underpins the relationship between him and steven on the other side of that you have the relationship with him and fallon she's trying to produce a child but not really. Fallon wanting to get an abortion doesn't seem that out of line to me. I can see that she's frustrated in her marriage. Now she's been play- messing around with this other guy and she sees like, well, I don't want that to be my life. Like I don't want to be married to Jeff forever. I mean, frankly, she didn't want to be married to him in the first place. And she definitely doesn't want to have a baby because that means she's just going to be locked down either more. So I kind of get it in that regard. Now, her confessing her love to Dr. Nicholas Mamma Mia is weird, especially because they've only banged a couple of times and barely had any conversations, which he even points out himself. So I don't know what that's about, but as he points out, she's just kind of using him as a an escape hatch, an escape plan. So I think she's emotionally bereft right now so yeah then the episode ends with jeff just coincidentally picking up the phone and then the medical professional revealing that ms carrington colby is gonna have an abortion on tuesday morning and he's irate and forbids her and you know she stands up for herself and says it's my body i'm gonna do what i want to do well, I think again, this is what I was saying earlier with like the uh, the telephone communications in this episode. In the same way that Jeff learns about her truth, which is that you know there's there's an abortion being scheduled uh, over the phone. You you also get the uh, the thing with Joseph, the bitchy majordomo, bringing the phone to Blake, and he finds out from you know Alexis that there's like some deal being set up in Rome with Rashid Ahmed, but also it's not really what she presents it to Blake to be, but this is all like how like the phone is this method of communicating false truths or real truth. Well, hold all my calls. It's time for the look of the week segment. Tyler, what was your look of the week? I think we've, I think this show has finally decided what it's going to be and what it's going to be about. 
Uh, and I think the clothes uh, bespeak all of that. Well, as I had been saying before, Alexis has been sequestered in that art studio and hasn't had a chance to have any fabulous moments. Oh, but well, let her loose in Rome, and this is go. what you get. Mm-hmm. You you get uh, full-on clamshell shoulder pad, satin taffeta, I don't know what the hell prom dress looking thing. And I don't know if that's like a sapphire necklace. Maybe it's onyx, but I'd like to think that Alexis would not wear just plain old onyx. I don't know what that is with diamonds, of course. So was that big poofy number your look of the week? Oh, for sure. Because this is where you see what Dynasty became for the next basically rest of its it life. It really is the first appearance of some poofy shoulders. Because she does wear like a really fun like foil metallic. Like I don't know if it's like an animal print or just a some sort of abstract print. Oh, uh, the G- I think it's like a geometric dress. cocktail yeah, dress. Earlier, which like is like a haltery, almost kind of yes, it's a halter number, and it's almost as as good as this look, but it's also very much from earlier in yeah, the eighties, seventies, yeah, and, early and 80s. she like the hair is a little too much with that look, and so in some ways it's like looking backward, and then here she is later in the episode, in you know this like ridiculous taffeta black number by the way black we should just talk about for a minute like had not quite been a thing in the 80s and lots I think of black in this episode. lots of black in this episode and some of it was incidental sort of but not really because of like uh crystals you, you know that lost child but i think it also be, becomes sort of a, a linchpin for sharp dressing and that's what the show sort of uh, you know invented uh, at least in nighttime soap, soap operas, you know. Yeah, no, I I love that we finally got some glamour from um, from the former Mrs. Carrington. I did like that, but I have to say the number that kept sticking with me was Claudia Blaisdell's office lurk. I was loving it. So it's this like navy dress that's not navy that's that's royal blue oh royal blue okay excuse moi it looked a little dark on the screen but it's this like blue dress and it's accented with red all over so she's got her nails like painted bright red. tomato red like, yes this is like, like bleeding hot red yeah this is like pumping heart blood red and she's got a red lip she's got bright red nails she's got red pumps and then it has like a matching red belt around it and then my favorite part on the inside of the collar there's a little bit of red that pops out so it's very office it's very executive realness but there's just like a little hint of something more and that was enough to have Cecil Colby say, let me take you out to dinner tonight, baby. Well, to the restaurant that's fully upholstered in red. And and then you cut to Fallon and Dr. Nick Toscani in a red bed. Black it's, and red. It's like it's red is like, yeah. Sexy combination. So, I, you know, the other, the other like minor look is is dom perignon 59 apparently that was like a really great vintage mm-hmm. for for dom perignon well maybe we should get a bottle and uh when we, we don't s- we don't drink enough vintage champagne 
on this podcast. Yeah, we drink a lot of Trader Joe's champagne on this podcast. Well, we're going to fix that now that things are getting a little more glamorous and Reagan has brought us into the booming 80s. Yeah, bring on the Don Perignon. All right, that's going to do it for another episode of Dynasty As They Want to Be. I especially want to thank Kyler, my co-host this week, and I want to say a very special happy anniversary. We've been hitched for four years, although it kind of feels like 19, but happy anniversary, baby. Who knows when it started or when it ends. (laughs) Also, I want to thank you guys for listening. We're having so much fun with the second season. There's a lot going on. If you want to keep the Dynasty love going when you're not listening to the podcast, follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, all the places, at Nasty Podcast. That's Nasty, N-A-S-T-Y, Podcast. You'll find pictures and gifs and little comments here and there. As soon as I had heard the sad news about Diane Carroll's passing, I uh, I retweeted out the uh, Associated Press obituary so people following could, could hear about the news. So follow us, and anytime there's something vital happening, I'll try to let you know about it. Until next time, this has been Dynasty As They Want To Be. Ciao.